From the Texas Veterinary Medical Association in Austin, Texas, this is Veterinary Vitals, a podcast that focuses on current news in the Texas veterinary profession. I'm your host, Audrea Wood. On Veterinary Vitals, I speak with Dr. Shanti Jha, the Chief of Surgery at Pet Specialists of Austin and the National Surgery Director at Thrive Pet Healthcare, a veterinary hospital network that delivers a continuum of care to pet families. Thrive is known for supporting the well-being of the industry and raising the national bar for veterinary excellence. Dr. Jaw shares about barriers affecting accessibility to veterinary care. This is a very important topic because in 2016, the AVMA reported that nearly 21% of dog owners and 52% of cat owners didn't take their pet to the vet at all. A recent study by the Access to Veterinary Care Coalition showed that nearly 28% of pet owners experienced barriers to veterinary care in the last two years. What can the veterinary profession do to promote greater access to care? I asked Dr. Shanti Jaw. Dr. Jaw, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into veterinary medicine? Yes. So um, back in India, uh, I did my veterinary education, the basic education, uh, and uh, got into veterinary medicine just because I loved medicine as well as wanted to serve those companion animals who can't speak for themselves. So I mean, there's big story that we can discuss, but uh, that's basically what happened and why I got into veterinary medicine back in India. And then uh, came here because I wanted to get the highest possible education in surgical science or veterinary surgery, since I loved surgery uh, and then trained in Boston, and then finally uh, became a board certified surgeon, worked in Seattle, and then after that has been working with Thrive uh, Pet Healthcare. So right now, I'm at Austin, Pet Specialist of Austin as a Chief of Surgery and also National Director of Surgery for this company. Wow, that is fantastic. And you look a bit younger than I was expecting. So you must have known what you wanted to do and had a pretty straight track. Is that right? Yes and no. So let me explain that. So so in India, we follow a British system where uh, you can get DVSC and AID, which is bachelor's of veterinary science. So post high school, you can jump onto... uh, in a veterinary school and get a five or five and a half to six year degree. So yes, you can save some time there. However, I also did some masters uh, here at Oregon State. And then uh, it took me almost uh, roughly a decade to become a surgeon. So I'm not that young. Oh, okay. So how was moving to Austin from the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, uh, it has been a great change. Love Pacific Southwest. It's beautiful. Uh, Lived in Seattle for eight, nine years. 
However, uh, a little bit of weather change was required. And for family reasons also, uh, we had to move. So love Texas, Austin. I'm like told my family that we are retiring from here. So, so that's basically the idea is a family moved, son wanted to go to a school and at the same time here in Austin, we wanted to set up a um, state-of-the-art uh, hospital which will serve uh, dogs and cats mainly and I was given the opportunity to lead the surgery survey so I grabbed it. Yes, what an amazing opportunity. Now, what is it that you love about veterinary medicine? You put so much time and effort into your education, so you must be really passionate about it. Uh, I think I should share that story. So across, across from the place I used to go and rotate at a veterinarian's clinic, there was a small restaurant and around midday, every single day, on around midday, I would see three or four dogs, uh, they line up, and sometimes they'll start to shake, uh, wag their tail, shake their body in happiness, of course. And then there's a nice shadow of, of a person coming out the door, and, and he will put some leftover food and dogs will eat. And then I, I think they will communicate whatever the language was for 10, 15 minutes and every single day. So one day I asked him like, I mean, what are the names of your dogs? And he's like, my dogs? I'm like, yeah, you feed them every day. And he was like, those are not my dogs. They're just from the street. That struck me that very day, I decided that I wanna serve also these guys and 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 get the same happiness what he is getting you can't buy that kind of happiness anywhere so i think that's why uh veterinary medicine kind of like enticed me because family wanted me to pursue human medicine but i was uh, i think stuck on that uh, gratitude and satisfaction that you get from serving those so that's how i became a veterinarian that story is so sweet he didn't realize he was going to inspire a future veterinary surgeon <laughs> always wanted to become a surgeon uh, but a veterinary medicine kind of like came late after seeing these things and and i was like well we share this planet earth not just with humans. I mean, dogs have been with us since last 30,000 years. First animal we domesticated. And, and I wanted to serve them. So uh, that's why. I love that. Serving the first animal we domesticated. That's beautiful. Now, that being said, you can only serve canines if their owners are able to access pet health care. So what do you think some of the greatest barriers to pet health care are? No. I, I think it's it's a wide and a complex topic to discuss point by point, but I'll give you a, a, an idea and then we can continue to discuss. So basically, if you have to look at the barriers uh, for the care for the pets, I think we need to put human there also. So it's a human-animal bond that we are trying to kind of like look and see where there is a lack of care. So let me divide that in, in like 
basically three big categories. So the environment where the human and the animal is staying, living, or where the habitat is. Then you do the human who himself or herself is taking care of himself or herself or family and then the animal and then the final one is the animal so i think we have to discuss like that so if you ask me to pinpoint few barriers uh, i'll probably number one i would start would be accessibility not the finances and demographics and we'll discuss those but i think the accessibility it's um it's number one, I, I think, after looking at everything with like almost 20 years of being a veterinarian, is number one cause where it, it hinders a pet to get even preventative medicine or sick care or ER care, something like that. And it's going to get challenging in future. So that's one of that. And then, then you have other things like individuals social economic status or finances and then uh, even uh, the language the cost the duration we are open veterinarians are open and again um, transport another one uh, would be uh, to one of the barriers which will cause uh, some hindrance in pets getting treatment Okay, so to break down some of these categories, like environment or habitat, where the animal's living, what are some factors that could complicate their access to veterinary care? Yeah, uh, so I mean, let's talk just about the environment. So let's compare a um, a woman uh, with a dog staying roughly 10 miles in an urban area versus 20 miles in a suburban area. And if you put that, if you put age in that environment for the human and he or she can't drive to get that preventative care, that's going to eventually affect the patient getting care uh, in the proper time or even properly uh, or uh, every uh, two or three uh, two or three times every year so just an example uh, to allude to so an environment right there and i'm not talking more about uh, a social economic environment and other demographics but just an example to give so how far a person is living with whom a person is living barring dogs or cats who or she or she is taking care of can affect accessibility yes that's very true and there are so many factors that go into that another thing that can complicate access is weather and transportation um, this actually happened to me last year when we had the snowpocalypse in texas I was totally snowed in, the roads were dangerous, no one was really driving, and those who were driving were getting in accidents. Um, and of course, at this horribly inopportune time, my dachshund beagle mix got really sick and stopped eating or drinking anything, which is very unusual for a hound dog. But I couldn't get out to my vet, and my dog was becoming more lethargic. Um, 
So by some miracle, I have a neighbor that had all the supplies to administer subcutaneous fluids. Um, So we did that and she recovered really quickly. So I was really grateful that that option was available to me, but I know not everyone has such a resourceful neighbor. Um, And we're also fortunate that it doesn't really snow in central Texas uh, very often anyway. So that's not a recurring issue for me. But I can imagine there are many people without cars or any transportation at all. There are people in regions where the weather's less favorable. Um, and I mean, they could try to take a bus, but to my knowledge, most mass transit systems don't really allow animals. So there are so many factors, right? Very good. I, I think um, we should definitely discuss this. And like, so climate change actually affects this human-animal bond and well-being of the pet and ours because it can affect their care. And we all in veterinary industry, most of the veterinarians, 90%, more than 90% of us, we believe if proper care is not tendered to, to the pets, it affects not just the pets, but also uh, the well-being, which is mental and emotional uh, status of the person who's living with the pet. So yeah, you're dead right. So I think there should be some kind of like a public policy that should be developed for uh, uh, not that particular climate, but just say the transportation, since you alluded to that, that we can improve uh, access to care, like a pet um, ambulance, a pet kind of like happy or uh, healthy bus or something like that, which will help these guys to come to a veterinary practice and get treated or cared for. Absolutely. I, I agree. It would be wonderful to have a pet and pet owner bus that could give better access to veterinary care, perhaps even allowing a stop at a pet store for food Uh, flea and tick prevention, all those little things that go into comprehensive pet health care. Very good. I I think uh, we we have to like push for some kind of public policy to have a start small, start in Austin and then go from Austin to different cities and then nationwide. I think that will help. I'm not sure if there is, uh, there are countries or areas where there's uh, pet uh, like friendly buses or transportation system, if I may say. I mean, we have tons of ambulances uh, for us, but um, maybe one or two per city for pets. So what about financially? I know there are many affordable clinics and some clinics provide flexibility on payment. Uh, do you have any thoughts on how clinics can provide more support to clients financially when they're in a pinch? Yes. Uh, so uh, first of all, I mean, I understand uh, that the cost is uh, definitely so uh, a hindrance or it is a barrier. We have to recognize that it is a barrier where pets are uh, not getting or not fully getting uh, the care what they deserve or they need. So uh, we have to understand few things that uh, in for-profit organization like private practices, we are not talking about non-profit like SPCAs and humane societies. I mean, uh, this is fee-for-service industry. Uh, 
I'll come to that, but I just wanted this one thought is running in my mind and I would like to share. So I went to school and I wanted to study surgery and wanted to do the exact kind of surgery similar to humans, like removing a tumor from the heart base, which we do, or fixing a collapsed trachea, which is again, same thing can happen in human. We do exactly the same stuff. We have almost the same results and dogs and pet parents are healthy. Of course, prices are charged for what we are doing uh, at that point of time. So when a pet parent thinks that a veterinarian should treat his or her pet like a family member, we do it. And if you take our family member to a clinic or a hospital, I'm talking about more human, the prices are similar and they're charged in accordance with the services provided. So yes, cost is at times um, is a barrier and hindrance. And on top of that, only roughly 2% of the dogs are insured and that that causes uh, uh, some problems also. So educating pet parents to get insured is important also. Now coming back, like what a mom and pop shop or you know veterinarians or even veterinarians like us can do it. Um, so we do a few things and I'll, I'll go through that. Uh, so let's give an example that a, a dog walks in with its, leg which is broken and i have to fix if the pet parent is not able to afford it then the first thing i do is i start to look for a different treatment option for example can we just put a splint or a cast and have that bone healed so instead of charging roughly let's say three thousand dollars can we just wrap up in a thousand dollars not going to a substandard of uh, medicine, still making sure we are providing the standard of care. So as a veterinarian, what we do, so that's like exploring different treatment option is number one, is that we can do. Second um, is payment plans, actually. Many hospitals, including ours, um, at Thrive Pet Healthcare, uh, we offer a payment plan where uh, you can pay a small amount through various companies and then uh, slowly pay that uh, rest of the amount over the course of a six months to a year, depending how much you're spending. So I think that should be also explored. And then I always ask for uh, like, is there any alternative financial resources like a family or friend who can help you at that point of time? We are, we are here talking more about like sick, emergent dog or cat who needs that care right then and then. Preventative medicine is a different story because they are not very expensive and still in some demographics it will be. But when dog really needs a care, uh, care we should explore these so the we have what we call as um at many of our hospitals known as hero funds and it's done locally where if somebody has donated money we keep that for these patients 
So I'm more talking about for-profit small animal practices. I mean, these are solutions that we can explore and help a pet parent. Yes, that makes total sense. A lot of places have options available. There just needs to be, you know, good communication. Clients need to feel comfortable voicing their concerns with their finances and you know, that way they can actually get the help they need. They just need to communicate. Actually, I want to add one more thing in, in that is, um, so uh, Thrive Pet Healthcare, especially my hospital right now, uh, and I am talking more about surgical and emergent diseases, which will need care for a patient. So we have a, a community kind of like payback or give back program with Austin Pets Alive. So what happens is, the dogs coming to us, they are retro-referred to Austin Pets Alive. So they will bear the minimum charge and I will give them 30% subsidy. There is no exam fee and there's no skill fee on our terms. But what they get is just the charges for supply, hospitalization and implants being used. So that is another way of, you know, a, a, a for-profit organization combining its effort uh, to lessen the gap with a nonprofit organization. So, I mean, they can send us cases also, but we can retro-refer. So if something comes in, for me, it's been easy to call or text and say, I have this, would you be able to take this patient as yours and I can do the surgery? Of course, there is a subsidy involved here. And I'm proud of that, that our company allows us to do that because these patients, they need second chance. What other barriers do we need to think about? Uh, well, I think there are a few more barriers here and there that we can go, uh, which would be um, language. So especially in this part right around here, there will be a little bit of language barrier most of us, we know that there is a language barrier and we have uh, that card which says that we can speak this language or that language to kind of like lessen the gap. And it has been shown in studies that uh, lack of language uh, actually causes quote unquote lack of trust because you're not able to communicate as you alluded to that. Uh, that is one of the other things that uh, we should definitely understand. The other one, which is a little bit more deep rooted is a person or a group of people thinking that a veterinary care is not needed for my pet, or I can do that on my own. I, that has happened. So, and that mainly happens in preventative care. So uh, for that, I, I think TVMA, us, nonprofit, all three or four organizations, kind, different types of organizations have to combine our effort to, to have some kind of um, education system uh, where we can teach uh, that particular group of people or anybody that preventative care is needed and should be done by trained professional. I think that will also help uh, these dogs and cats who miss on their normal, regular care. Yes, that's something that I was discussing with another veterinarian recently. Um, people need accurate information about their pets to help them make the best decisions. 
And that's one reason why we started TextVet Pets. Uh, it's a public-facing website that provides veterinarian written and peer-reviewed articles on pet care. Pet parents can go on Google, and depending on their search, they may see our articles first, which is going to be a lot more reliable than the many other things we see online. <laughs> yeah, I mean, improve the availability of valid and reliable information to educate pet parents. I think otherwise, Dr. Google can cause some confusion. Yes, and I feel like I've seen a bit of a mindset change surrounding pet care in the younger generations. Uh, a lot of young people, you know, living in the big city, rent is high, can't afford to raise children yet, but they can have a companion animal. And their pets, many times, are their babies. They spend a lot of time with them, know them well, and really care about their health and longevity. So I think we're seeing an improvement there. Yeah, to, I mean, to add on to that, so important for us as humans, like we are mitigating risks here. Like why preventative care? Because if you don't give proper education and access to routine veterinary care service, then there's risk associated with pet ownership and various zoonotic infections. We just dealt with one pandemic and we don't want anything coming from our companion and domesticated animals. So it is so important to improve how we relay this information. Um, I think we're making strides slowly. I want to really thank you for being on this podcast. I enjoyed talking about this and listening to you. Yeah, well, uh, thank you for giving me uh, a chance to discuss. Uh, it's a sensitive issue, but I, I think it's just not a personal uh, issue or problem. It's a societal problem. And as a community, since, uh, it, I mean, these pets are like our family members, and they're very important for our uh, well-being, mental, emotional, even physical we need to kind of like solve these problems together. Absolutely. Well, that's why veterinarians are teaming up with associations like TVMA to work toward some positive change in the profession. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you very much. Dr. Shanti Jha discussing barriers to pet health care. It was great to speak with Dr. Jha and really encouraging to hear how much he loves being a board-certified veterinary surgeon and all the important topics that he's thinking about. If you have anything you'd like covered on this podcast or would like to nominate a guest, please email me at awood at tvma.org. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with a colleague and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. A like, a share, a retweet. These are all great ways that you can support TVMA that won't cost you a dime. I'm your host, Audrea Wood. Thanks for listening.